Hello and welcome to another episode of the Back Check Podcast, the hockey podcast where we talk about the cases of players for the hockey fame. Uh, I am Riley. I'm with Bill. Hey, how you doing? Good. How are you? I'm doing all right. Thanks. Um, today we have a defensive defenseman episode, our second one, but this one's a little more specific. Uh, the last one we did was just a general what do we do with defensive defenseman episodes, and this is more in line with our normal theme, though it's slightly different. Just like our previous episode, it's going to be one player inducted in 2020, or soon to be inducted whenever the Hall actually has the ceremony. Uh, one inducted a while ago, in this case about a decade ago-ish. And then we have an old-timer, but he's not as old as our normal old-timers. Um, most of our old-timers were born in the 19th century, and we are making an exception this time because there's a defensive defenseman old-timer we've been meaning to talk about who we actually, I think we didn't talk about him in the defensive defenseman episode because his career was, like, too good um, compared to a lot of, because the guys were, uh, like, offensively, even though it wasn't great, it was still better offensively than a lot of the guys we were talking about, and so I, I don't remember if we mentioned him or not. It was so long ago we recorded that. Anyway, so these players are Kevin Lowe, who was inducted or will be inducted this year at some point. Scott Stevens, who was only a defensive defenseman for half of his career, but still I think is everyone's everyone of our generation, maybe Bill's idea of a defensive defenseman probably at this point. Yeah. Um, and then finally, Jean-Guy Talbot, um, a defensive defenseman for the Habs uh, at the time when they were winning all the Cups as you'll see. And, and, yeah, and so uh, in, in many cases, uh, Talbot in particular is a good comparison for Kevin Lowe um, um, for reasons we will get to. Um, so we're starting with Kevin Lowe, a, a extremely controversial choice for the Hall of Fame that we have already referenced on previous episodes a couple of times, and bothering both Bill and I. And to give you just the faintest idea of why this is a problem for us i prepare notes for each episode and they are in word well google docs uh, but like in in the word processor in google docs and kevin lowe's resume stops halfway through page two and <laughs> and now so does jean guy talbot's uh it should be pointed out but usually we're like with forwards and, and with like people like Al McInnes, we're talking about all the way down page two or sorry, well into page three. I mean, and uh, like Scott Stevens makes it to page three. Um, yeah. It's really, really, when I was doing it, I, I, I said to Bill, like, you know, give me a few days to like do Kevin Lowe's notes. And then like the next day I was like done. And he's like, yeah, what? I'm <laughs> and I'm like, uh, I didn't have, there was nothing to do. Uh, <laughs> so um, that gives you some idea of the situation here and how absurd, uh, unbelievably absurd this is. Um, Kevin Lowe played for 19 years uh, by our very arbitrary standard of uh, uh, defensive point shares. 17 of those were quality. He scored 431 points in those 19 seasons in 1,250 games. He is, wow. on the other hand, plus 260. So well, yeah, so oh. so was uh so was the goalpost, you know? It's yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's I like that. That's a good one. Um, it, he uh, so he you know he's he's over. Uh, oh, there's very few players I think in in hockey history who are plus like their plus number is half their total points or more than half yeah. their total points. But as you said, Bill, so is the goalpost. Um, so. He was. Uh, uh, it's worth noting that despite that really high plus, he has 75 total career point shares, which for a player who played in 1,254 games is um, not very high, especially for a defenseman. A defenseman get more point shares out of, uh, well, sorry, at least since the tracking of ice time, defensemen get more point shares. But I'm pretty sure even back then they get more point shares. Generally speaking, all other things being equal. So he was drafted in 1979. Uh, this is a draft that we've talked about a bunch. It is a big, big draft because at this point it now contains, oh, I don't know, one, two, three, four, five, six, uh, uh, at least six Hall of Famers um, at this point, um, three of whom played for the Oilers. <laughs> so it was a good draft for the Oilers. Um, it is the Mark Messier draft. It was. It is the Ray Bork draft. Uh, 
it is the Mike Gartner draft. Uh, I don't know if people refer to that, but basically by point shares, this is this is the draft. Uh, these are the people ahead of Kevin Lowe in this draft. Ray Bork, Mark Messier, Mike Gartner, Michelle Goulet, Brad McCrimmon, Glenn Anderson, Brian Prop, Mike Ramsey, and Rob Ramage. Um, other notable players, Paul Reinhardt, uh, Dale Hunter, who we talked about. Oh, we talked about... Did we talk about Reinhardt? Or were, no. Did we? I don't remember. Anyway, we may have... We're planning on talking about them at some point. Um, <laughs> uh, anyway, and then Rick Vives also in it. Uh, John Agrodnick, Neil Broden, um, Mike Foligno, um, it, Thomas Steen, Matt Nadland. It's just... It's a deep, deep draft. It's one of the better drafts in the history of the NHL, I think it's safe to say. Um, But as you might imagine from that, that means Kevin Lowe doesn't look so good. So his best metric is plus minus, and he's fourth. Um, Somehow, with uh, plus 260, he's still fourth in the draft, which is... Just goes to show you that the 80s were a time when certain teams scored a lot of goals and other teams scored significantly fewer <laughs> you know I'm just uh, like, i'm just looking at his draft stuff here and it, it says he's born in Lachute, quebec i'm like that's like that's like less than a half an hour away from here oh that's yeah like right on the other side of the border yeah i did not realize that i didn't yeah. even look to see where he was born yeah because why do that much research i'm, I'm actually quite surprised he's a quebecer given his name's kevin lowe uh <laughs> is is Lachute, is uh english uh, not that I know of, but I also like have been to Lachute. Like I've driven through it many times, but yeah. I don't think I've ever stopped there for anything. I think I might have been at the Canadian Tire once to pick something up, but that was about it. <laughs> so it's it's like the biggest sort of town in this region until you get towards like if you're taking Highway 50 until you get to like Saint Eustache and stuff like that. So okay, okay, yeah. I'm like there's like three people who know where that is. So <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> of our um, family. <laughs> it is it is primarily French town, but it is uh, yeah. there is an English population of about uh, back when he was it, it the English population has been shrinking actually. So I don't know what it was when he was born in '96. It was 16 percent. It's now 11. Yeah. Um, but it might have been even bigger when he was there. I mean, yeah, there used I've, to be bigger English communities in Quebec too because yeah. Uh, yeah. Bill, Bill 101 and just the, the general exodus after both referendums too. Like yeah. a lot of people who lived in Western Quebec and were fairly close to Ontario might have been like, why don't I just move across the border? Like, why am I, why am I sticking this out kind of thing? So I, I I'm guessing, you know, a, a higher preponderance of, uh, of you know, Quebecois uh, players who actually their first language was English uh, must have been in those in those days. Because I've never heard him speak with an accent. No, no, not at all. I would assume that he's an Anglophone who grew up in, yeah. in Quebec, and I'm, I'm sure he does speak French, but um, yeah. yeah. So his his best, his least bad thing in the draft is that he's fourth and plus minus, but he is, as you might imagine, otherwise uh, way down. He has 36 in goals-ish. I, I Hockey reference, it's weird basketball reference when you sort by draft. It has a rank, convenient ranking thing on the left, which tells you where they are. Hockey reference, it does not do that, even though it's the same company. Um, so I, I roughly counted down to 36 for goals. So he's, he's about 36 in goals, 21st in assists, 25th in points, uh, 10th in point shares, um, and 6th in games played. So, like, this is... At best, if you're charitable to him with the point shares, he's the 10th best player in his draft. And I don't know about you, Bill, but I'm pretty sure inducting the 10 best players in each draft year, even in a phenomenal draft year like this, might be, it seems like a little It It, it does. Generous. It depends how good the draft year is. I have a feeling, yeah. what was that great draft for the NHL? The, the Ovechkin draft, I think, where it was like, uh, it was like, uh, oh, Richards and Carter and Kessler and yeah, there Rize may there may be, be one or two where it's that. Yeah. I mean, there's already four, or did I say six in this one? There's a lot of them in this one already. Um, I just mean like if that's it's just it's it's yeah. it's one of the many things to think about when we're when inducting somebody about the standards you're setting going forward. Um, Kevin Lowe is charitably the tenth best player in his draft. Offensively, he is the twenty fifth best player. And that's not 
including per game stats, which is the real way you want to think about it. It's just in this case, Kevin Lowe, I mean, the hockey reference doesn't let you do drafts per game. So I would, you know, he's, he's worse than 25th. He's just because he played six, he's six in games, right? So he'd be way lower than 25th. Yeah. Um, well, he's, uh, there's only eight inducted from this class, so he's the eighth one to be inducted. Yeah, yeah. Uh, wow, I must have missed somebody then. Um, anyway, uh, era-wise, we tried to be charitable. We we looked at eight players uh, who played in at least uh, 1,148 games, which is 14 seasons between 79 and 98. And Kevin Lowe, of eight players, is sixth in every offensive category, so third last. He is fourth in plus-minus, so good. You're, you're in the middle. He's uh, seventh in defensive point shares. That's right. He's seventh in defensive point shares of eight defensemen to play in 1148 games between 79 and 98. So second last, and it's only defensemen. I just I, I was trying to be favorable and eliminated forwards from the from the list because forwards yeah. are going to make him look really bad. He literally he's fourth in games played. He's fourth in plus minus, and he's third or second last in every other category for those eight players. Which once again says to me, listen, I did not watch Kevin Lowe in his prime. I was, I was, uh, you know, uh, I was 17 when he retired. Um, his, his, his Norris votes came at a time when I was not yet watching hockey. But like, the the bar has been set pretty low here. Yeah. If you're, if you're talking about a guy who is like, when you when you like say look at the era, is like the second or third least good of the players you, you arbitrarily selected. Just just saying. Yeah, I know the the thing is, I think with uh with Lowe is that he he played on an Oilers team that was so stacked that he's going to have the cup resume. Yeah. And he he's an important player. Like he's a very good player on an outstandingly good team. But like I'm trying to think of like a modern equivalent and the, the name that keeps popping into my head is Brent Seabrook. And you're like, yeah. Seabrook was a really good defenseman for some of those years. And he was Keith's partner and he got named to some team Canada's and he's an important player, but I don't think he's a hall of famer. Like he, no. he was good, not great. And, you know, Keith was clearly the, like that guy's a hall of fame defenseman. You're just playing with him and you compliment him well, but like, you know, you can't, you can't be the, you know, if you ever take him away from Keith, all of a sudden you're like, oh, that guy's kind of a defensive liability sometimes. And he doesn't always make the best decisions. And like, yeah. you know, I, I mean, in, at his peak, he was a fine defenseman. But like, I don't think he I don't think he's anywhere near a Hall of Fame defenseman. I'd probably say the same for Lowe. It's like he's a really important part of a good team, but he's not the most important defenseman on his team. He just happens to be the perfect partner for that other guy who's elite kind of thing, you know. And uh, I, I, think I, feel like, I feel like that happens sometimes, you know. I think Seabrook is a good comparison, uh, but I also feel like if we actually looked at their numbers, especially adjusted for era, we would see that Seabrook was a better offensive player than Kevin Lowe. Oh yeah, I I, I think so, but you know, then people would argue, well, Lowe was better defensively. It's like yeah, they may, they you know, may. I don't, he, I he might have just been don't. that guy who was like, I'll hang back. So you know, I, the thing is, I don't know because I was too young to like notice defensive yeah. pairings and things like that. You know, when I started watching hockey, and especially when the Oilers were still in their heyday in the in the late '80s, but like if he was Paul Coffey's partner all the time and let Paul Coffey roam around and do Paul Coffey things. And it's like, he's extremely valuable because he's going to be back keeping the puck out of your net so that Paul Coffey can go put the puck in the other net. It's like having that hang back defenseman on a pairing is extremely important, but yeah. you know, like to, to say he was like defensively elite and they wouldn't have won any cups without him or they would have won fewer cups without him. Like, I don't, I don't think that's true. Um, and I think yeah. uh, I think a lot of people would probably actually point to Charlie Huddy as being that guy uh, for the Oilers teams rather than yes. Kevin Lowe. Yes, yes, they would. That is a very good point. Um, I, I agree. Uh, um, I just I just want to keep rubbing salt in the wound a little bit longer just to like <laughs> point out how absurd this all is. So Kevin Lowe played in the 1980s. His 82 game average is 28 points. However. It is worth noting also plus 17, which seems impossible. Um, that's insane. Uh, he never had a season when he was minus, actually. Even his last season where he... Oh, sorry. I take it back. A bunch of seasons when he was minus. Uh, but <laughs> way, Yeah. Way fewer than I thought. But uh, uh, there might be. But um, actually, yeah, I was looking at the wrong stat. Um, he had a few. 
but only one where he's minus 10. Every other season, if he was minus, it was just minus a couple. But still, plus 17. And his 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 peak offensive years, he was he was scoring 42 points a season. But get this, Bill. And this is if you if you if you take plus minus seriously, which as an individual stat, which nobody should because it is a team stat, and you need like wowies and stuff to fully understand it. Um, he was plus 41 during that peak. So he was scoring 42 points a season and somehow plus 41, which <laughs> means one of two things. They never, ever scored when he was on the ice. Or ev- <laughs> everybody other than him on the team was scoring like crazy while he was <laughs> Which the, the latter might be true given who he was playing with. But anyway. Yeah, well, it's, it, you, know, you know what? It's, it's, it's not, I, I think, I don't want to come across as a Kevin because I really, one, don't like him, two, don't think he was that great. But if, if you if you pigeonhole somebody into that role where, like, hey, man, we know you could probably put up 60 points, but we actually need you more to hang back so coffee can run roughshod over these guys, we both, like, I know and you know that he's way better offensively than you, so we actually need you to be, like, the safety valve to make sure we don't give up a ton of goals. And if we do that, we'll win every time. And then the player's like, okay, I can do that for you. And, like, his stats go down, but he's kind of the guy, you know, breaking up a two-on-one so that you don't give up all these goals when, you know, coffee doesn't score kind of thing, you know? So it's it's not to undermine his importance to the team. I just think, like, the Hall of Fame and, like, just that that kind of player, unless, you know, like, if let's, let's say I heard interviews with the Oilers with, you know, every single big Oiler who's already in the Hall of Fame, they're like, man, if we didn't have Lowe, there's no way we win. Like, he was so important to the team. They would probably try to say some stuff like that because he's their teammate, but like they haven't. In so, fact, well, Paul, Co- Paul Coffey, Paul Coffey went on the radio in June apparently to defend this, and was like, "Oh, he's a great hockey player." He, I don't know that he said anything actually like material, yeah. um, for the case, but like, yeah, it's just his buddy, and he wants to stick up for his buddy because people are shitting on him, and it's like. I feel bad because it should be sort of the greatest moment of your career. You get inducted into the Hall of Fame. Like, yeah. it's, an, it's an extremely elite club. But if, if everyone's shitting on you when you get it, like, maybe maybe your case was not so slam dunk. Um, and it, it's it's one of those things, too. Like, maybe if we grew up in the 80s and we watched all those Oilers games, we'd be like, yeah, dude, he was really, really awesome. And they would have been hard-pressed to win without him. But I, I really don't think that's the case. And I don't think there's a lot of Oilers fans from that era who would argue that like, yeah, if we didn't have low, there's no way we win. Like, yeah. I, I don't think he was that caliber of a defensive defenseman. I think he was solid. He did what they needed them to do to make sure that they could win, but that shouldn't get you into the hall of fame. That should be like, do you want to put him into the Oilers ring of, you know, ring of honor because he, you know, helped them win all those cups. Like, sure. Yeah. No, like, I have no problem with that. Like you, you were part of, uh, you know, an unprecedented era of success and there's no reason that you shouldn't be acknowledged for that. But, like, to be listed as how many members are in the Hall of Fame now? 200? 300? I don't remember off the top of my head, but uh, I can but give let, you a rough. Let's, let's, even say, let's even say 500. You're one of the 500 greatest players of all time. I don't think Kevin Lowe is one of the greatest 500 players of all time. There, and I bet you the number's lower than that. Oh, it is no lower than that. Yeah, I mean, I, it's hard to tell um, without, yeah. like... Because there's no there's no uh, way of numbering all the those, but one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. So let's say that's twenty five, fifty, seventy five hundred. I'm gonna say there's like two fifty, maybe two seventy five currently. Um, and I agree with you. I don't. Um, I could I could easily come up with uh two hundred seventy five players who I thought were better than Kevin Lowe. But like you yeah. said, I didn't watch him either. Um, but that's, you know, it's it's just like, it's it's this idea that like, you know, six or seven players from the Oilers need to go in the hall. No, like, I don't think so. No. Really? Really? And and so we'll we'll get into that more in a few minutes with Talbot. But um, uh, just, just a few other things. Uh, playoffs, when he retired, Kevin Lowe was fifth all-time in games playoff games played, which would be another reason why people would argue he'd be inducted, and another reason why I would say it's because he got drafted by the Oilers. Yep. Um, his adjusted numbers, you might imagine, are even worse. 
he is a 24 points per 82 game average when you adjust for era. 24 points, guys. 24. Um, I, I just, it's preposterous. Uh, yeah. There's one trade to talk about. And that is um, that he was traded. Um, oops, I went too far. Uh, he was traded when he was 33 uh, for somebody named Roman Oksiuta. And oh, I remember Oksiuta. <laughs> okay. I really cool. do, yeah. <laughs> he must have played for the Canucks if I remember that name popping up. So. <laughs> I'm just clicking on his page to see, like, what if anything can tell you. Um, he did play for the Canucks. There you go. I he played you. 21 games for the Canucks. There so you go. Your memory is, is quite good. So, yeah, he was traded at 33, um, at, and and as part of Glenn Sather's plot to put most of the 80s Oilers on the New York Rangers, and uh, that, of course, factors in later. But, like, you could tell his his value. I mean, I don't know what Oxyuda was, if, if Oxyuda was, like, a... Oxyuda wasn't a prospect, right? Like, he was, he was drafted 202nd overall in 1989, yeah. Now maybe the Rangers thought he was going to be one of those Russians, those late draft Russians who come in and. and but like basically at 33, Lowe was traded for a a tenth round draft pick and a, and a third round pick that um, ended up uh, being a guy named Alexander Kirch who played five games in the NHL. So this is not a, a trade for even though he was 33. This is not a trade for a player that is uh you know this is a trade for veteran leadership. It's like a trade for like Brad May or something, you know, a little yeah. bit. What 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 year was that trade? Uh, it was uh in 1992. There you go. As, yeah. uh, you know, basically the 1990 Oilers were the 1994 Rangers with like a few added pieces and a better yeah. like a better younger goalie and Brian yeah. H. Um, yeah. But it's it, you know it's I, I, his his value to that Rangers team was probably off the charts because they were a very veteran team. And having the, the defense that they did, you know, we've already talked about Leach and Zubov, but then you add guys like Bookberger and, uh, no, sorry, not Bookberger, Bukaboom, Bukaboom and yeah. uh, Lowe and like guys who've been there before. And that, you know, probably made the huge difference. And they, you know, they had such an aging core too on that team. And uh, a, a lot of the, a lot of the guys who played for the Rangers, especially the defensemen are like, yeah, if we didn't get that extra day of rest. There's no way we win that. Like we were so exhausted. <laughs> um, so, but it is a trade that is, it is a trade that is made often um, in hockey where they trade for like some old guy, older yeah, guy. Well, it, and and in those days too, you have to remember like pe- people are thinking about it now, saying like, why would you trade, you know, a defenseman who helped you win all these cups? He was only thirty three, and it's like, well, and, and players did used to play longer, so now thirty three seems old, but that back then it really wasn't. And it's like, yeah, but. Like by then he's probably making two million dollars a year, and in those days yeah. two million dollars was a ton of money, and the Rangers had it and the Oilers didn't. So yep. it's a huge reason why a lot of their players ended up playing for the Rangers was the the Rangers had you know unlimited money to spend, uh, and you know the Oilers were in big financial trouble. So absolutely. So uh, Kevin Lowe's accomplishments uh, total uh, six lines. Um, in in a section that first say Scott Stevens uh, totals uh, I don't know fifteen, um, uh, he was top five in Norse voting once, and that was fifth. And in 1988, uh, I'm kind of curious to see who was above him um, because there's some anyway. Uh, yeah, so uh, Norse voting uh, that year, the people above him, Ray Bork, Scott Stevens, Gary Suter, and Brad McCrimmon. And somehow, get this, Jesus, Jesus, hockey writers, for fuck's sake, <laughs> hockey writers. I don't know what kind of season Chris Chelios had, but Chris Chelios finished lower in the Norris voting in 1988 than Kevin Lowe. Wow. So did Mark Howe. Yeah. What? Yeah, I know. What? That's crazy. I mean, Pop Van did too, but Pop Van was 34. Yeah. Um, but uh, Chris Chelios was in his prime. Anyway, that's another story. Um so he did win the King Clancy um, in 1990. Uh, not that we care about that kind of thing. Um, he was only ever top 10 defensive player by point shares once in his career. 
uh, in 82. Uh, that is, of course, hockey references metric for value. And prior to ice time, it is very, very, um, you know, it, it's, it doesn't tell you much, but we still, try, we still mention it because, you know, it's better than nothing. So yeah. it's worth noting only once. Uh, also, he only finished, despite his crazy career plus minus, he only finished top 10 and plus minus once as well, which is interesting to think about. Because this is a guy who's plus 260. He's plus 260, and yet he only he was only ever eighth in one season. And uh, that would suggest to me that I, I'm not going to go through every team, every every season that uh, Kevin Lowe was, was plus 40 or plus 30. But my guess is there were a bunch of guys who were on his team who were plus more. Um, and their names might be Wayne Gretzky, Mark Messier, Paul Coffey, Yari Curry, and Glenn Anderson. Yeah, um, you know, actual, actual Hall of Famers. Yeah. So <laughs> lastly, lastly, and here's here's the crux of it all, right? The reason Kevin Lowe is in the Hall of Fame is because he won six Stanley Cups. And so the question is, as Bill was suggesting, is like, what role did he play? Now, because Kevin Lowe retired in 1998, that was literally the season before the NHL started officially tracking ice time. So we have no idea what role he actually played by ice time. I'm sure somewhere out there on the internet, someone has gone and figured that out. But like, I don't know where that is. So I didn't know where to look for it. Um, I, I also think I wouldn't be surprised if someone has the pairing information somewhere out there. Yeah. But uh, I think it's safe to say that we were, we're pretty sure given um, Kevin Lowe's career, lack of power play goals, uh, he has a total of uh, uh, 16. I think. Um, well, actually, there's more than I thought. And he has 37 career power play assists uh, out of uh, 200 and something. So he wasn't on the power play very much. In, in the playoffs, in fact, he has zero career power play goals. So it's safe to say he didn't play on the power play. It's safe to assume, I think, he did play on the penalty kill. But if we go by points, which is the only proxy we have for ice time, he was a top two defenseman on one runner-up which is the 83 Oilers. He was top four on one champion, which is the 84 Oilers. And then by points, again, don't know his ice time, he was a, a top six defenseman in 85, in 87, in 88, in 90, in 94, and also in conference finals in 91 and 92. So without ice time, what just happened, and I understand that someone may have the ice time out there and someone may have the pairing information, you might be able to say he was top four defenseman, is the Hall just inducted a guy who was playing as best as we can figure out, like, not enough, you know? Um, At least by points, he was one of the less important players on the the team in five of his uh, six championships. Um. And that's ridiculous. Like, there's no reason to induct people like this, like, at all. Like I said, if, the, if you have information that shows, like, Kevin Lowe was playing 20 minutes a game on, like, four of these, or better yet, 22, because that would be a little more in line with uh, top four in the playoffs, then by all means, like, let us know. But, like, as far as I know, he wasn't. Um, certainly, you'd play that many minutes with Gretzky, you'd think you'd score a little bit more, or at least have some assists, right? You'd touch the puck. Anyway, he was also on a Canada Cup champion in 84. Uh, points suggest he was top four, which is, like, weird, given that it was Canada Cup. You would have thought they might have had some more offensively inclined players. But like we talked about with Glenn Anderson, it's possible Gretzky was just like, I want my team on the, on the team. Um, and then he also uh, he was a role player by points on a world championship runner, a silver medalist runner-up in 82. And I have a note at the bottom of this very short resume that says this is the resume of a player who was just inducted into the Hockey Hall of Fame. (laughs) Uh, I mean, I don't know what to say. It's unless unless somebody has like. Has somebody somebody has the minutes and can show that he he was like a, a vital contributor on more than half of those Stanley Cups. This is one of, in my opinion, this is one of the worst player inductions in the history of the Hall's existence, in my in, in my opinion. I would have to agree. Yeah. It's I mean, just talk like... Talk about setting the bar low. Oh. <laughs> You've been waiting to say that for a while. I, I have been, yeah. <laughs> 
it it is setting the bar really low though because like i mean basically all this so so basically in order to get in the hall of fame you need to be drafted by a team that's gonna you know, just happens to have a like happens to have a lot of good players like uh, your super example i think was pretty good but i'm sure there's somebody who was on some of those teams like like jomerson jomerson was a at his peak, I think a pretty good defensive defenseman. Yeah, he's like a number, really good number three defenseman. That yeah. get you into the hall. He shouldn't be in the hall of fame. I don't. No. Did he Just stick around? He Does he stick around for all three of them? I don't remember. I don't know. Probably. I'm, I'm looking it up. Um, yeah, he has. Jalmerson has three Stanley Cups in an era where it's very hard to win three Stanley Cups. Should he be in the hall of fame? Because that's what the Kevin Lowe thing says to me. And. Yeah. And I don't think that's like that's just just absurd. It's an absurd standard. Absurd. Yeah, like how many guys are you putting in then? Like it's just yeah. gonna get crazy. Yeah. And the other thing about it is, of course, there are guys who we know um, had better careers than him from an individual standpoint, who had less team success, who are not gonna go in because they didn't luck out to be drafted by the Oilers in 1979. You know, like exactly. it's just. You shouldn't get into the hall because you're lucky that a team drafted you. You should get into the hall because you had a Hall of Fame career. Anyway, um, let's talk about someone who deserves to be there. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so, so at this day and age, he's probably this case is probably now a little controversial, just given what we now know about CD. But um, you would think so. Yeah, but he, yeah. He didn't do anything that wasn't in the rules back then. Either, no, so. that is very, very true. Um, and, and well, I'm, I'm spoiler alert. I'm on board with it. Um, at least with him being in. Uh, so uh, Scott Stevens played from 82 to 2004. He played 22 seasons, 21 of which are quality by de- uh, defensive point shares. Um, he, uh, he has a bit of a better resume than uh, Kevin Love, so it's going to take a little bit of time to go through. Um, he, uh, he is... 23rd all-time in goals by defenseman, which surprised the hell out of me because I always forget, because I watched New Jersey Scott Stevens, I always forget that Scott Stevens was actually an offensive defenseman in the 80s. Um, He is 11th all-time in assists by defenseman, and he's 12th all-time in points, which is way higher up there than I thought it would be. Um, He's also plus 395, so take that, Kevin Lowe. Um, That puts him 13th all-time and 8th all-time among defensemen. Uh, he also plays in 635 games, which is an insane number. Uh, it is second among all defensemen and 10th all time. Um, he is also 20th all time in point shares. And here's here's the interesting thing, Bill. I, I I I remember him playing a lot in Jersey at the end there, but his average ice time for his last six seasons—that's all we have—almost 24 minutes a game. Which, given that he was in his late 30s, is pretty damn impressive. It's a little like Al McInnes, who we talked yep. about recently. Yeah, and well, he's playing with Niedermeyer, too, right? So yep. if he didn't have to do all the skating, yep. he was sort of relied more upon for his physical presence than you can let Scotty Niedermeyer skate the puck out and you take care of the guy in front of the net. Like, that's a, that's a really effective yep. pairing. Yeah, um, Stevens is second all-time all time in defensive point shares. Now, it's, of course, it's worth noting he is also 10th uh, all-time in games played and second all-time in def- defenseman games played so that might have something to do with it but still um so he was drafted in 82 and i don't know if we've talked about this draft uh have we this is the gord kluzak draft uh gord kluzak Kluzak played in 299 games so poor boston uh scott stevens is second in point shares behind phil housley and that's only of course because phil housley scored way more points than scott stevens did um Almost not quite double the number of goals, but one and a half times and significantly more assists um, and fewer games. So that because of that, that's why Phil Housley is way higher, even though uh, and because Phil Housley has the offensive point shares, right? That Scott Stevens doesn't. So the draft the, by point shares, the top players in this draft are Phil Housley, Scott Stevens, Dave Anderduck, Doug Gilmore, uh, Ron Hextall, Pat Verbeek, Dave Ellett, Ken Reggett, Brian Bellows, Ray Ferraro, Ulf Samuelson, Thomas Sandstrom, Kevin Deneen. Ken Danico, Murray Craven. It's a it's a deep draft. Did you mention Gary Lehman? We should have mentioned Gary Lehman. Uh, well, I was sorting by point shares, so Gary Lehman is uh, probably low. If if I put goals, maybe I'll see him better. Yeah. Um. Oh yeah, yeah. There he is. Yeah. 
there is. Gary Lehman. Yeah, the the it's a really good draft. Pat Verbeek, uh, Kevin Deneen. Like, there's some really good uh, players oh, yeah. that played for a very long time. Ray Ferrero. Yeah. Uh, Lots of and uh, goaltenders Ronnie Hextall. Yeah. Yeah, there's a. It looks like there's about 20 players to play in a thousand games. Roughly wow. speaking, maybe 18, something That's like that. Pretty damn good. Yeah, it is. It is. And points wise, there's uh, six, five players that have a thousand points. So. Um, yeah, it's a good draft. Uh, I mean, Scott Stevens is one of the better players in it. I, I'm biased and would say that the best player in this ga- draft was Doug Gilmore, but uh, I'm biased. Um, I, I, I think I agree, actually. Yeah. Uh, but, like, Scott Stevens would be, like... I think two. he's my number two. Yeah, yeah he's number two, I think, uh, because it's between him, Housley, Andrew Chuck, Hextall, um, yeah. and, like... Bellows or somebody like that, maybe. Uh, so I would yeah. say Ske- Stevens for sure among those guys. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then for the era, uh, 12 players to play in at least uh, 1,394 games, 17 seasons between 82 and 2004. Uh, I, for some reason, I was not trying to be as charitable to Scott Stevens as I was to Kevin Lowe. So he's way at the bottom in terms of offensive production because forwards are at the top. But he is fourth in point shares and first in defensive point shares in that um, selection, which is, should become as no surprise. His AU game average is 46 um, points per AU games and also plus 20, so also quite high. In fact, I believe it was, yeah, plus 20 is higher than plus 17 for Kevin Lowe. Um, his three year peak, 70 points, uh, but that's because uh, he was still scoring a lot in his peak, which is in the early 90s, and plus 33, which is also very impressive. And uh, you will be shocked to learn that Scott Stevens has some, uh, he's on some leaderboards for playoffs as well. He's 16th all-time among defensemen in playoff goals. He's 11th all-time in playoff assists among defensemen and points. And he's 23rd overall all-time in in plus-minus in the playoffs and 14th among defensemen. And he is third among defensemen in games played and sixth playoff games played and six all time among all players. So, you know, he had a bit of a career. It helped. It helped uh, his, uh, he had some luck as well, though, um, as we will get to in a minute. Um, adjusted stats. Uh, they, uh, they don't do much. They make him a little bit worse. Uh, 42 points per 82 games instead of 46. So not much different. And of course that is because he scored the majority of his points in the eighties and early nineties. You know, he he uh, he had 78 points in 94, and he never again got above 31. Man. Yeah. <laughs> Man. <laughs> That's wow. quite the drop-off, yeah. Well, I yeah. mean, the, the, the era sort of changed too, right? Like yeah. Once, yeah. once Jersey fully on him, like, fully embraced the uh, the uh, the trap, like, the hockey changed completely. And it's, if yeah. you didn't grow up yeah. through that area, you have no idea what it was like, like, yeah. watching – you watch like the 94 final between Vancouver and New York. And it's like the most exciting end to end hockey you've ever seen. And then two years later, it's like just everybody's trapping it up. Like it's crazy. Yeah. So speaking of luck, so he, he was drafted, uh, he was drafted by Washington, believe it or not. If you, if you grew up when I did, I mean, the idea that Scott Stevens is a capital is crazy. And he had a fairly productive, you know, stretch where he was, he had some Norris votes, but he was also putting up a fair amount of points, like not, nothing crazy, not like, you know, we're not talking Phil Housley or Ray Bork numbers, but still like he yeah. was a decent, or even Doug Wilson, but he's still a decent offensive defenseman, scored 20 goals once, you know, and then he became a free agent in 1990, the, the rare free agent in back in those days, right? It's so weird to even read about free agency, I feel like back then, but he became a free agent and he signed with St. Louis in summer 1990. And uh, they, uh, I, I don't think they had a problem with him. He had a one of his worst offensive years of his career, but like, is still, you know, he was plus twenty three. And uh, St. Louis um, wanted to, you know, Saint, this is around, this is the time when St. Louis was like the Brett Hull machine, and they were trying to get more support for Brett Hull, and so they signed uh, restricted free agent Brendan Shanahan, and. So, Scott Stevens was awarded to New Jersey as compensation. Yeah, they used to do it with an arbitrator, yeah. Yeah, as compensation for Brendan Shanahan, which 
you got to think is like one of the like, listen, I, I, I think Scott Stevens is a Hall of Fame player. But yeah. and I don't know what his play was like on the ice for Washington St. Louis because I never watched him one of the teams. But you got to think, given the way his production changed and his style of play changed, that at least some of that had to do with New Jersey coaching. Yeah. And you got to think that this is one of the luckier or like you know fortuitous, I guess is maybe a better word, or fortunate uh, accidents in NHL history where a guy who played a certain way was essentially accidentally moved to a different franchise where they he essentially found a, a new career as a different type of player and proceeded to win three Stanley Cups. Yeah. Um, it's, it's just, it's, it's one of those interesting, I mean, they, these things don't happen anymore. These like these, you know, compensation awards and no. or at least, at least in terms of players anyway. Yeah. Um, so it was a bit of a wild West thing where they had sort of figured that they, listen, we want to start free agency, but like, basically if you, if you offered a restricted free agent, that guy signed with you, that meant he was your player, but then a judge would decide who was the fair like compensation. So you, you really took it out of your own hands. And apparently St. Louis lost their minds when they gave Scott Stevens the other way. <laughs> they were really upset. <laughs> uh, I, I mean, I, uh, I think they would be, I mean, Shanahan at the time, he was yeah. a prospect. I don't think he'd done that much for new. Oh, okay. He scored He'd scored 30 goals uh, one season yeah. for New Jersey, but he was yeah, still you like... Tell, you could tell what he was going to be, and he was... I think he was... Yeah. It's because he was like a number two pick or something like that, too, so... Uh, you are correct. He was the number two pick in 1987, yeah. Um, but he was like... You know, and he, the other thing is, of course, he... Um, he uh, he had sandpaper, as they put it, um, which, of course, people were very happy about, you know. Anyway, yeah. it's just... It, it didn't work out so well for St. Louis. It worked out very well for New Jersey and for Scott Stevens. Um, because, you know, I mean, I, who knows what would have happened with St. Louis had they had they had Shanahan and Stevens and given up somebody less important. Yeah. That's not what happened. And, uh, and so, yeah, uh, Scott Stevens went on to win three cups. His, uh, his uh, accomplishments are... are there's some, but it's not as long as an offensive player, of course. Uh, but he was top five in Norris voting seven times. Contrast that with Kevin Lowe's once. It's worth noting. He was also top five in Calder voting in his first uh, full season in the league, or his first season in the league, rather. Um, he was a top ten player by point shares overall, not defensive point shares, but point total point shares in 1994. Uh, Hockey Reference also lists him as the best defensive player in the league in 1994. And... Um, a top five defensive player, nine separate seasons. Kevin Lowe was never top five. Um, and top 10, 12 seasons, which is uh, one of only eight players to ever... Um, actually, I should point out, top five, nine times is one of only three players to ever do that. Uh, and the other two are uh, Bork and Larry Robinson. So good yeah. company. Yeah. Um, he was, you know, he was an okay offensive player for a chunk of his career. Top 10 assists once. Uh, he also... Led the league in plus minus once, top five, three times, top ten, four times. He has all-stars, unlike Kevin Lowe. He was a first-team all-star once, second-team all-star twice, 13 all-star appearances. By the way, somehow Kevin Lowe had, like, he had no end-of-season end all-star teams, but he had seven all-star appearances, all-star game appearances, which is, like, I guess they were vo- he was voted in or something? I don't know. It's just funny. Um, So, he... Uh, uh, Scott Stevens, of course, won the Conn Smythe in 2000 on the uh, Devils. He also uh, was the best defenseman by points on two uh, conference finalists, the 90 Capitals and the 94 Devils. Um, by ice time, he was the second defenseman on uh, the 01 Devils who came in, who finished, you know, who lost the final. Uh, Nina Ryan being the number one there. And then in 03, he, his ice time was down to uh, top four because, of course, at 03, I believe he was 39 or something like that. Yeah. No, he was 38. Sorry, he was 38. Um, he also uh, won a, a, a Canada Cup in 91, and he was also on the World Cup team in 96 that didn't win. Um, and then he also uh, was on two World Championships silver medalists and a bronze medalist as well. So he's got some international hardware, which I did not know about because he was on international teams before I cared about hockey. Um, anyway, 
I mean, that's more like the resume of a Hall of Fame player to me. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not going to stop doing that. Um, <laughs> I mean, I think uh, having seen him play, it's much easier for me to be completely for it because I think, I mean, obviously you have the defensive point shares, but if you don't, if you don't believe in point shares, if you think they're crap, then like I can see how you can look at his offensive accomplishments and not um, think a big deal. But like he he won the Consmite in 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 2000, and it was not insane, you know. Like people, it was it it was not a crazy decision. Um, you know, the, sometimes a def- the idea of a defensive defenseman winning the Consmite sometimes feels a little um, weird, right? It hasn't happened very often. Yeah. But like he played. Uh, he played uh, 25 more minutes than Niedermeyer, and he scored four more points um, that playoff, which is, you know, Niedermeyer is generally thought is the more offensively inclined of the two of them. Um, yeah. And, of course, he, he, of course, ended careers of various people along the way as well. Yeah, um, but to be fair, and it's obviously, like, if you look at any of his hits now, you're like, oh, my God, like, you can't do that. And it's like, well, in those days you could. You were... Yeah. The onus was on the other player to keep their head up and avoid those big hits. And it's like, you know, you see him like destroying Korea and, uh, you know, uh, uh, Lindros. And it's like, and like the Korea one's pretty late. And it's like, well, it's like, well, you should be admiring your past. Like we used to yeah. like, that's the way we used to watch hockey, which is bizarre now, it seems, where it's like, you don't need to hit that guy. The puck's already gone. Like, well, it is. It is. To kill him. You could hit him and knock him down, but like, try not to murder him. It is but also victim blaming a little bit to say you shouldn't look at your past is like 100%. you should you should know better you shouldn't wear that short skirt whatever like yeah oh, the, the hockey a hundred percent was that way it was always 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 keep your head up keep your head up like it's up to you to protect yourself because yeah. that guy's gonna come and try to hurt you <laughs> like yeah. basically is what you were taught and told um, yeah but it was as you point out Bill it was legal so we can't yeah yeah. yeah. No, no, you can't like retroactively go and change the rules on him and say, "Oh, he was yeah. dirty." It's like, no, he, like you knew him as a tough player, but almost yeah. every hit was like, it's on the edge of like, I can't believe he hit the guy that hard, and but he never it was never like I elbowed the guy in the face. It was always just within the rules, and it's like, well, this is kind of the game that we've sort of sold. Like, hockey used to just be a concussion factory. It was crazy. Yeah. Um, now that we look back on it, knowing what we know now, but it's like. You used to anybody put their head down in those days, they got buried, like absolutely destroyed. Well, and, and it's like, worth it's pointing out, game. it's worth pointing out that he was a Scott Siemens was a penalty minute machine until coming to Jersey, and hmm. after he was a penalty minute machine the first few seasons in Jersey, and then he only topped a hundred penalty minutes twice from ninety four ninety five on. Um, whereas Probably because he, rules change so much. <laughs> well, yeah, but like in I mean, terms I, of obstruction and everything. Yeah. Yes, I'm sure some of that is true. Like you were allowed to get away with a lot, absolutely. But I also think that I wonder to what extent he was. He, he people helped him hit within the rules. You know what I mean? Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, because the rules still let you do things like that. But like maybe when he was in Washington, and again, I did not watch him in Washington. But maybe when he was in Washington and younger, he just he was hitting guys, but he didn't really. You know, it's it's veteran savvy, right? Like it's like right yeah. now um, we're in the summer of 2020, and the the Raptors are uh, are playing in this weird like right uh, second regular season thing that's like eight games long. It's very strange. But and sorry to drag this into basketball. One of the things that the Raptors do that drives other people crazy is they know the rules really well, and so they do things. Now they're not giving people concussions for the most part, as far as I know, but they're doing they do things where like it's legal but like they get in people's ways in legal ways and it's really annoying to the other team but they get away with it most of the time because they know what the rules are but a lot of that is because there's a bunch of guys who've been in the league a long time and who have that's how their career that's how they've kept their careers going is knowing the rules and i wouldn't be surprised if scott stevens had someone or maybe he did it on his own he did it on his own or with a coach was like okay how can i do this without getting like 283 penalty minutes, you know? 
Yeah, uh, or or he finally earned the the respect of the referee. That too, that could be also be a big thing yes, where it's like yes, you've been in the league right. long enough. Now we're going to stop calling you for this, you know, these penalties that we'd give to very a younger player. But you've been around, so you've got our respect now. And it's that veteran, is a very the veteran, like sort of the referees have known you for a long time, and you've been in the league for a long time. Used to benefit some players like crazy. Yeah, absolutely. That is a very good point. Um, all right. So lastly, we have Jean-Guy Tauba. How would you pronounce the, la- the last name? Uh, if you were really saying it French, like Talbot. Yeah. But uh, Talbot. Okay, that's what I was sort of pronouncing it in an English way. You'd go for Talbot, I think. Yeah, I'm saying I'm going to say Talbot because if I try to say Talbot, I'm going to do that Talba again, which is just yeah, terrible. yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> so I'm pronouncing. I'll pronounce his first two names French, and then the last one in English, just because just Perfect. to drive people crazy. Um, so he played from 1954 to uh, 71. He played 17 seasons. There's 16 quality by uh, defensive point shares. His totals are very impressive. Three goals, uh, 242 assists, but 242 assists was 12th all-time among defensemen at his retirement, and he was also 18th all-time in, def- in points by defensemen at his retirement. So despite the fact that he only had less than 300 points in 1,000 games, um, he you know defensemen didn't score much, right? He retired in 71, which is like the early days of Bobby Orr. And as we've talked about at some point, you know, prior to Bobby Orr, there weren't a lot of offensively inclined defensemen. There were basically like three, uh, and, uh, mostly uh, Red Kelly. But um, anyway, um, he was also, it's worth noting that Talbot was fourth all time in defensive point shares at his retirement. Of course, this is a hockey reference calculation that didn't exist at the time. But, like, it's worth noting that at least retroactively, Hockey Reference sees him as, like, very important as a uh, defenseman. Um, But he was also 21st in games all time. So, you know, defensive point shares accumulates over time, accumulates. And so, you know, had he played fewer games, he would not be so high up on the list. He was not drafted because he entered the league prior to the draft. Um. Of the 20 players to play in at least 1,000 games, only four defensemen. So that's why we said 20 players between uh, 1944 and 1971. Talbot is last in goals and most offensive point share, uh, uh, offensive categories beyond assists, where he's 19th in assists per game and 18th in assists. But he's fourth in plus minus, which wasn't tracked officially until 68, but which uh, through team records, Hockey Reference now has from 60. So for most of his career. Um, so it's it's safe to say that being fourth all time in plus minus, he would have been higher had it been tracked, or sorry, he might have been lower had it been tracked longer. But at least of that of the era when he was tracked, he was uh, a plus player despite having a minus twenty in his final season, or sorry, minus twenty four in his final season because he was on uh, St. Louis and Buffalo, who were both awful. Um, is an eighty two game average of twenty two points plus twelve. Again, the plus is a little iffy, but it was applicable for the last 80, 804 games of his career. Um, his, uh, his peak is a 34 games, or 34 points in 70 games. So, you know, respectable defensive, def- defensively inclined defenseman uh, stats if he's like 0.5 points per game. Playoff-wise, um, he was fourth all-time in playoffs. Games played as a retirement, as you might expect for someone who played most of his career on the Habs. Um, but his playoff numbers are 30 points in 151 games, so that is not very many. Uh, the er- adjustment for era um, makes him look slightly better, 24 points for 82 games. Uh, he's ineligible for other uh, adjustments. He was traded twice at the very end of his career, so we have two trades to talk about, but they are trades involving uh, only one player I've ever heard of, Bill, so <laughs> I don't know what oh, we can make of them. The first one, he was 35, and he was traded with somebody named... Um, so, sorry, I should say, first of all, he was claimed, uh, because he was 35, Montreal left him exposed in the uh, in the expansion draft, the, the, the big expansion draft, where they added six new teams. And I would presume, based on that, you probably had to... Uh, there was probably a lot of players you had to leave exposed because they were trying to create a whole... Like, a yeah. d- double the size of the league, right? Um so anyway, so uh, 
a few months later, Minnesota traded him and Dave Richardson for someone named Bob McCord and someone else named Duke Harris. Uh, yeah, uh, Bob McCord was 33, Duke Harris was 25. Yeah, me neither. So then, uh, at some point, Detroit waived him a few months later because he was old, and I don't know, his numbers for Detroit were, I mean, he, he didn't score, but, like, that's not what his job was, so I don't know why they didn't like him. Maybe they had, like, too many defensemen on the roster or something. So he got waived again, and then he was traded. Um, so, sorry, he got picked up by St. Louis, and then St. Louis, uh, a year later, a year and a half later, uh, traded him to Buffalo with a guy named Larry Keenan for Bob Bond, who I could have sworn was older than 34 in 1970, but apparently was only 34. Talbot was 38. Um, you can imagine that uh, this trade did not work out for Buffalo, um, given that Talbot was 38. He he played 57 games for Buffalo, and he was minus 20. It's also possible that given that I believe that was Buffalo's first season in the league, that they were just awful. Um, it was their first season in the league, and they were like, like, Gilbert Perot was minus 38 in this season. So minus 20 actually doesn't look so Awful in that case. Um, their uh, <laughs> their their uh, their most common goalie had a goals against average of three sixty nine. So different times. <laughs> yeah. So uh, Talbot uh, finished top five in Norris voting once. Um, weirdly, he never received any other votes. The Norris existed for, I think, his entire career, because I think it was invented in 54 when he came in the league. Very close to that. Uh, but he was a top 10 player by point shares in 1962. Overall point shares, not defensive point shares. And Hockey Reference Point Shares has him as a uh, top defensive player, twice the best defensive player in the league in both 56 and 62. They also say he's top five another five times. So, he, you know, he had for a peak uh, between 56 and uh, 62, he was one of the five best defensive defensemen or defensive players in the league, at least according to uh, um, Hockey References point share calculation. And he had a few other top 10, total of top 10. He had 12 top 10 finishes in defensive point shares in his career, and he was in the league for 17 seasons. So that's two thirds. That he was considered by hockey reference point share calculation one of the best defensive players in the league. So that's worth thinking about given how that same metric feels about, say, Kevin Lowe. You know, um, he did not have a lot of offensive accomplishments, top 10 assists once, top 10 assists per game once, top five and plus minus once. But again, that was when they were officially tracking, and a lot of his plus minus stats come from like the teams doing the independent traveling. He has one first team. All-star of one end-of-season first-team All-star, which is more than Kevin Lowe has. It's worth pointing out. And uh, his six All-star game appearances. But here's where it gets um, more interesting, given the precedent that Kevin Lowe just set. So, by points, he was the best defenseman on the St. Louis Blues in 1970 that went to... Uh, went to the final because of the stupid system in which uh, the team from the bad conference played the team from the good conference for the Stanley Cup. Uh, yes. <laughs> so it's worth saying that there's a big asterisk, even though he might have been the best player by points on that Blues team, they probably didn't deserve to be there. Uh, but also he led the Canadians defensemen in points in 61 and 62 when they went to the conference finals, which in a six-team league was not a really big deal. However... According to points, Talbot was a top four defenseman on seven Stanley Cup champions. Not six, seven. And top four, not top six, it's worth pointing out. Uh, In 56, 57, 58, 59, 60, 65, 66. I am not saying that Talbot belongs in the Hall of Fame. But what I am saying is that he has... By these standards, the Hall just admitted Kevin Lowe a clearly, clearly better case. Yeah. Um, because he had a bigger role, at least offensively, in these teams. And I listen, I don't want... I There are people out there who are tired of uh, 
1950s Habs being inducted in the hall, even though one hasn't been inducted there since Dick Duff, I think. But like, or he was probably on the Habs in the 60s, actually. But um, like, if Kevin Lowe's in, how is this guy not in? Yeah. I agree. Yes. His case is much better. Yeah. And even has one extra cup if that's going to be the qualifier you use. It's like. He does indeed. He has one extra cup. Yeah. Um, and. I don't know. I just, I think it's, uh, I am not, I, I just, I don't, uh, have any particular skin in, in, in him getting into the hall of fame, but I do feel like he was really, he's really illustrative of the problem of inducting Kevin Lowe because you're basically saying like, he should also be in the hall of fame. Uh, I think, um, and, uh, I don't, I don't necessarily think he should be. So. I mean, I would I would be less offended if Talbot was inducted than Kevin Lowe, uh, but I'd still be like, eh, is isn't this a bit? Yeah, you're only putting him in because Lowe's in now. So, like I said before, the bar's been set so low. Like, what are you gonna yeah. do, right? Well, I guess what I was saying is, if if Talbot had been inducted instead of Lowe, like in yeah. some other alternative reality, like say maybe like ten years ago or something, or or closer to when he retired, like a couple decades ago we would probably be all saying the only reason he's in there is because he won seven cups yeah. because we'd look at his resume and we'd be like, there's very, I mean, three goals in a thousand games. Like, yeah, that is, you know, that is a problem. Um, and I mean, without, without the invention of the point share metric there, we wouldn't have some way of semi objectively saying he was one of the best defensive players in the league for so long. And they didn't have that prior to the internet, but, um, and it's flawed, of course, too. But like, it's 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 still I don't know. I mean, I think it's clear that he had a better career, and and I think that it's like I still think had he been inducted in the last few decades, it would be a controversial induct uh, induction. Yeah. And so the fact that he now looks like he should be in because Kevin Lowe is, then suggests that the Kevin Lowe induction is probably a bad idea. But that's my personal opinion. So pretty fair. Yeah. I mean, I, I just, yeah, I, I mean, I, it's hard. I was very much anti Glenn Anderson being in as, as everybody knows who listened to that episode, but like Glenn Anderson's case for the hall is like so much better than Kevin Wallace. It's so <laughs> much better. Um, and it's like, it's, I'm sure as the show continues to go on, we are going to find other guys who are as ill-suited to the Hall of Fame as Kevin Lowe is, but we're not going to find a lot of them, I don't think. No, I don't think so. You know, um, it's it's uh, it's a bad one. Anyway, um, <laughs> <laughs> so we're no on Kevin Lowe. What about Talbot? How are you on Talbot? I'm going to go no as well. Yeah, me too. Um, but, of course... Door's been opened. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and what about, uh, how do you feel about Scott Stevens? Uh, yes, absolutely. Yeah, me too. Um, and I mean, I think some of that is just, I, I, I can't tell you how much I hated the Devils. I just hated yeah. the Devils. But, I mean, I also, there was some level of grudging admiration for their ability to do what they did. And specifically to do it against my hockey team, which they did in at least one really embarrassing playoff series in which I was just oh, like yeah. <laughs> very, very upset. Um, but like, I do think he was, you know, he's a, he's a, he's a kind of player who's like essentially disappeared from the NHL. Um, yeah. but as, as an example of that, he was one of the best ones, I think certainly that I saw in my lifetime. And, uh, and he had such an interesting career transformation too, which even without his late team success, it's just fascinating to see him. You know, I, a number of defensemen have had this, like Al McInnes went on a more extreme version of it, right? From like, yeah. from scoring a hundred points in a season to like being like <laughs> not scoring very much at all, but still playing like 28 minutes a game. But yeah, um, it's just interesting that like, as you get older, you sort of like, maybe you learn the finer points of, you even though your athleticism may go, your 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 uh, awareness or whatever, your 
your your wisdom from playing so much increases enough that you can transition to this other role and be successful yeah i i think that's why they always say like defensemen mature so much later than forwards because there's there's so many little tricks you can learn that'll keep a guy from getting to the net without taking a penalty yeah. and it takes you a long time to learn what the referees are going to always penalize you for and what they're going to probably let go um oh absolutely you know, yeah you know, it, and i mean like in minor hockey it's kind of just knowing when to go into the corner and who's your man and what are you supposed to do in each situation but I mean, the NHL game moves so fast and there's so many different things. And, you know, it's 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 all like it's such a close game in terms of like you give a guy a half a hook and knock him a slightly off stride, but he keeps the puck. You're not getting a penalty. But if yeah. he falls, you're getting that penalty. And so it's like you're, you're sort of you're putting the odds on your side, but you never know when the ref might just decide like, nah, I'm, I'm not feeling that one. And it's like when you have their respect and you've been around for a long time, more often than not, they're not going to give you that penalty because of your reputation. And it's something that used to happen in the league all the time. <laughs> yeah. If you were a veteran player, you got away with murder out there. And if you're a rookie, good luck. Yeah. Unfortunately, that still happens in the NBA, but if you don't watch basketball, you don't have to worry about that. I don't. So we're good. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Uh, I think that's it for this episode. So uh, thank you for listening and we will be, Starting with something slightly different um, next time, Uh, but we haven't completely worked out the details, so (laughs) you'll have to wait until then to find (laughs) out. Yeah, exactly. Um, Yeah, so uh, that's it for us, and uh, yeah, we will see you next time.